confession. Uh, last week I got in trouble. I got in trouble. By all of you, by the way. Not all of you. Some of you. I, I, I preached too long. I think I was pushing an hour. Uh, so I have to recoup that trust. Uh, so I've got to recoup that trust this morning. Um, so here's my message. Jesus loves you. Follow him. Amen. Right? Yeah, you're good, right? I mean, you're good. Uh, just know that. No, I'm, I will, it will be a little bit shorter today, I, I hope. Um, I hope. Uh, but anyways, um, yeah, I do apologize uh, for that. It, nor, that is a very rare thing. Someone asked me, is that, is that going to be the norm? No, I, have, I, I can't even think the last time I ever preached that long, if ever, quite frankly. It was just a lot there. It was just a lot there. Um, and so anyways, this morning there's a lot there, but not nearly as much. Um, we are continuing in our series this morning through the book of 2 Corinthians, Remember, in a series that we are calling Messy Church, in which we have been journeying through both 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and really looking at this church in Corinth that had its fair share of problems, of questions, of tensions, um, which is in fact quite normal, if you will, for churches, whether it's that church in Corinth or any church even today, will go through. Every church will go through situations and times of kind of wondering how do we do things? What is it God's will? Or what, is, what does the Bible say about how to address this issue? Uh, we'll go through, you know, relational conflict. We'll go through those kinds of tensions. We'll go through times where decisions maybe that are made that maybe people don't agree with. Um, church is messy. Church is absolutely messy because we are, as people, messy. And although we know Jesus and although we follow Jesus, we do know that we are still a work in progress, that we have not yet arrived as fully formed disciples of Jesus Christ, whereby everything that we say mimics and, and, and absolutely shows who Jesus is, and everything we do absolutely would do what Jesus did. It's just, that's just not how we are. And so we are still struggling and still on that journey of putting to death that sinful part of ourselves, while at the same time embracing that new creation that all of us are as we have come to know Jesus Christ. And, and just by the way, we know this, but let me just say this as a public declaration. We will never be finished with this journey this side of heaven, will we? We will always be a work in progress. We will never have it completely figured out. And if anybody believes that they have figured it out, um, don't listen to them. Okay, if one day I stand before you or for that matter, any pastor in this uh, church stands before you and says, I have it all figured out. That's the time you begin to say, yeah, I don't think I should listen to you anymore. Um, If we're really honest and and myself being included, I still struggle with that side of myself, that sinful side, that side that I, I struggle with and here, not only that, I struggle with the fact that, yeah, I don't have everything figured out. I still, too, struggle with what the scriptures say at times. A lot of times. It just don't have it figured out. So, that being the case, it is no wonder that as we pursue things in ministry, as we shared last week, or as we saw last week in the fourth chapter of 2 Corinthians, 
Ministry is really hard, isn't it? It's incredibly difficult for a variety of different reasons. Not only are we dealing with our own sinful lives and trying to put those things to death, but we are dealing with a fallen world that is now absolutely set against what we as Christ followers are trying to accomplish. And that is to share the gospel, to bring people to Jesus Christ. And that we know that there's an enemy that is absolutely bent on making sure that doesn't happen. And so last week, we took a look at a ministry from the Apostle Paul's perspective. And we saw different aspects of ministry. This morning, though, we're going to take it a step further as we come to today's chapter, chapter 5. And that is, um, we are going to take a look at why do we do ministry? Why do we do ministry? If knowing that ministry is difficult, if knowing that as Christians and as Christ followers and as a church, we continue to do ministry, knowing that in doing so, we are going and facing an uphill, uphill battle doing it, and that is incredibly difficult, why do we still continue to do ministry? Why do we do this thing we call ministry? That is going out and serving others. That is alleviating others of their necessities by helping to meet those necessities, of going out and verbally sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why do we do this even though we know this work is incredibly difficult and it's not easy? How is it that when we are, as Christians, at the end of our rope, we don't lose hope? How is it that we can continue on? This morning, I want us to take a look at this passage that Paul writes And in it, I think that there are several important reasons as to why we as Christians, and not only that, why we collectively as a church, do this incredibly difficult work of ministry. A.W. Tozer said this. He said, Let every man abide in the calling wherein he is called, and his work will be as sacred as the work of the ministry. In other words, I believe what he is saying there is ministry isn't what we do here at church, although that is a part of it. Ministry isn't what we do on behalf of the church, although that is certainly a part of it. All of us can't be on a church staff, okay? I can't pay all of you, and you wouldn't want to be paid, and you probably wouldn't want to be on a church staff. But I think there is this this common misconception, I think also kind of promoted by pastors like myself and others in the church, who believe that you have your ministry life and then you have your other life, your work life. I think what A.W. Tozer is sitting here and saying when he, when he wrote this is that your work life and your ministry life, there is no difference. Everything you do, whether it is here at the church or outside of these walls, is ministry. Now think about that. Is ministry. When you leave this building this morning and you go back to your lives throughout the rest of the week, Whether you are retired and volunteering somewhere, that's ministry. Whether you are still working, that's ministry. Even if you're working from home now and you're doing things remotely, that is still ministry. When you go and you meet with your friends or family members and whatever it is, that's ministry. When you go to the grocery store to get your groceries, that's ministry. In other words, everything you and I do is an opportunity to minister to others. Okay? That's what I believe A.D.B. Tozer is, is saying here. And we are called to this work, and regardless, because we are called to it, whether we are doing things at the church or outside the church, it is sacred because it is the work of ministry. And he says this. 
It is not what a man does that determines whether his work is sacred or secular. It is why he does it. I think sometimes as Christians, we can easily forget why God has placed us where he has placed us. I think even to the point of of wondering, why has God placed us where he has placed us? Maybe I shouldn't be where I am working. Or maybe I shouldn't be where I am living. Maybe I shouldn't be doing what I am doing outside the church. Maybe, but maybe you should be. But regardless, here's the, here's the reason why we do it. That's what I want us to see today. The why is so important. And my hope is, is that if we discover why we do ministry, we will be hopefully more motivated regardless of where God has us, whether it is where we want to be is another issue entirely, because rarely are we want to be where we are. But regardless of that, where we are, whether we want to be there or not, why we do what we do and be encouraged by it. Be absolutely encouraged by it. Okay? And I think as we look through this passage this morning in chapter 5, which, by the way, in my own personal opinion, out of all the passages we have looked at in First and Second Corinthians, this chapter is my favorite. This one is my favorite. I love this chapter for a variety of reasons, and I'll share that with you throughout this sermon this morning. There are four reasons... I believe, why we do ministry, whether it's individually as Christians or collectively together as a church. And I want us to see what those four reasons are this morning and hopefully as a result, be encouraged, regardless of where we may be, that what an opportunity for ministry. All right? So, first reason. Let's just jump right into this here. First reason, why we do ministry, not only individually as a church or individually as Christians, but uh, collectively as a church, everyone is made for eternity. Everyone is made for eternity. Let's take a look at the words here that Paul writes, beginning with verse 1 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and he says this, For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a pledge." In other words, what Paul, I believe, is writing here and saying is that we as Christians, we know this, but we need to be reminded of this constantly, is that the bodies that we inhabit, the bodies that we inhabit right now, where we are right now is temporal. It is temporary. This will not be forever. Okay? We know that. And the glory and the wonderful promise that we as Christians hold on to is that there will come a time when we will be clothed with a body that will never deteriorate. Think about that. That will never go to waste. You will not experience aches and pains, hair loss, whatever. Right? You will not have moles or whatever that you have to worry about and get checked. Right? 
You will not have to worry about cutting your fingernails and toenails and having to groom yourself. All that kind of stuff. You will not have to worry about shaving. Right? You won't have to worry about those things. You will not have to worry about bed hair. You will not have to worry about morning breath. You don't have to worry about any of those things. Because reserved for us is a reality and a new body which that will have no any issues whatsoever of needing to be groomed or taken care of in the way that we have to take care of our bodies today. It's a beautiful promise. We need, to, we need to be reminded of this. You and I, as Christ followers, are made for eternity. And by the way, it's true what I believe Paul writes here. We groan for that, right? How many Christians, and maybe you have been one of them, who have said, boy, I wish Jesus would come now. Jesus, take me now. I am ready to go and be with you in heaven. Bring me that new body. Bring me that new reality now. Right? I'm just tired. I want this right now. Tear down. I want to move. And that's what Paul is kind of using the imagery here. We're in a, and I love this, we're in a tent. What's a tent by its very nature? Temporary. FYI, I don't like camping. Um, yeah, my, my idea of camping would be a hotel. Or at the very least, a fifth wheel. Right? Something more permanent. I don't want to... Why do I want to purposely put myself in a tent when I know that I have a perfectly good bed at an air-conditioned or heated house? Why would I want to put myself in that... Well, Dan, it's just getting communion with nature and getting back to your wild side and all that kind of stuff. I'm done with that. I'm civilized. Whatever that means. Right? I want to go out there. I will take a walk in nature knowing that at the end of the day I can go back to my bed. And that in the morning I could take a shower and that there's running toilets and all this kind of stuff. I mean, that's... It's, you know, tent, tenting by its very nature is temporary. And I love what he uses here. What we are in right now is a tent. And depending upon where you are, you may not think it's a very nice one. It's okay. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, it's just a tent. Temporary. There is something more permanent. Now, for us as Christians, that's a very hopeful thing, isn't it? We love that. We know that that's going to be our reality, is that we are going to be with Jesus in a new permanent dwelling, not a tent anymore. However, for those who do not yet know Jesus, the reality is still the same. They too are made for eternity. Every single individual is destined for eternity, to live forever. It's just a matter of where? It's just a matter of what that eternity will be like. And so you see, we as Christ followers have to realize is that we do ministry because every single person is made for eternity. Every single person you look at is eternal. C.S. Lewis, I think, gives a great picture of what this means. He says the following, and I think that hopefully this will change our perspective of how we view other people, including each other. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. You ever think of that? That we live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. And this is what he means by this. To remember that the dullest 
and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, he shares, we are, in some degree, helping each other to one or other of these destinations, either to heaven or to hell. Every single day, you and I are helping others to one of those two destinations. Think about that. That's heavy. What an incredible responsibility and burden. And he goes on and he says this. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, and all politics. There are no ordinary people. You and I have never talked to a mere mortal. Let those words rest for just a minute. You and I interact with people every single day. And I'm wondering if in those interactions we've ever thought that person is immortal. That person is destined for eternity. That person is not just ordinary, but extraordinary. Have you and I ever thought about that? Let me give you, maybe push that envelope a little bit further. Think about an individual that you would never normally have any interaction with. And in fact, if you, and by chance, came across that individual, maybe it's a person on the street who was asking for a handout particularly, would you look at them as more than mortal? Or do you look at them as someone just ordinary? Every single person we come in contact with, regardless of who they are, is destined for eternity. Paul knows this, and we need to know this. We do not interact with just ordinary people. Every single person is destined for eternity. And not only that, every single person we interact with, we are helping them either to get to heaven or to hell. Ministry is important. Why? Because everyone is made for eternity. That's the first reason. Here's the second reason. Everyone is going to give an account before God. Everyone is going to give an account before God. Paul writes the following words, Therefore, realizing that everyone is destined for eternity, realizing that no one is just simply a mere mortal, Paul says the following, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, knowing our present situation, we are not yet fully with Jesus yet, we are still tenting here on this earth. He goes on and says this, For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. For we must all, appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed or compensated for what his deeds, what he has done in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Every single one of us are created for eternity, and every single one of us, whether we know Jesus or not, will have to give an account before God himself of what we did 
on this earth. We all have to appear before the judgment seat of God. Every single one of us. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 12, verses 36 through 37. He said this, But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Every single one of us stands before Jesus Christ and judged, or rather by God and judged. Every single one of us. Whether you know God or not, whether you believe in God or not, every single one of us has to give an account. For those of us who know Jesus, we know that even though we stand before God and it's a scary thing, we know that in the end, because our faith is in Jesus Christ, that we will be rewarded. But think about those who don't. They will be punished. They will be punished. I don't know about you, but if I was going to stand before God and knew that I would have to stand before God, I'd want to be prepared, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? I would, I would want to be at least knowing that there was a test coming. I would want to know that, you know what, you better be aware of this because it's going to happen. There's going to be a test. When your life is done here on this earth and you're going to stand before God and you're going to have to give an account for everything you have done on this earth. Oh, and by the way, God never forgets. He knows better than we do the things that we have done. And things that we may have forgotten long ago will be brought up at that time. It's an incredibly scary thing for those who do not know Jesus. And for those of us who do, it's still an uncertain thing. But we are confident that Jesus will step in and say, Father, he's one of ours. And we'll be rewarded and not punished. We do ministry because we realize that everyone is going to have to give an account. And realizing this, and this leads to our third reason, our third reason is because everyone, therefore, needs to be prepared to face God. If all of us are going to face God and give an account, then all of us need to be prepared to face Him. Paul writes the following, Therefore, and I love this, knowing the fear of the Lord, that fear, that word fear there in the Greek, phobia, terror, all that kind of stuff, a real fear, a fear that, yes, there is a, a, a creator, yes, there is a God by whom we need to be fearful of because not only can this God take away our physical life, he can also absolutely impact and take away our spiritual life. He can truly punish us. That kind of fear is real. Knowing this, knowing that God can do this, knowing that we, can, that we ought to be afraid, Paul says this, we persuade men. We persuade men. But we are made manifest to God. And I hope that we are made manifest also in your consciences. We are not again commending ourselves to you, but are giving you an occasion to be proud of us so that you will have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are sound mind, it is 
for you. If we are all going to stand before God, we better make sure that we are prepared to do so, including those who do not yet know Jesus Christ. Do you know that there are people out in this world today that have no idea, first, that they will stand before God, and secondly, they have no idea how to prepare for that moment. But we as Christ followers know how to prepare for that moment, don't we? We know that that moment is coming. We know it is going to come. And we have the answers to the test by which they can pass it. The worst thing for us to do is nothing. The worst thing for us to do is to simply not share the answers. Oh, and by the way, that's not cheating. That's what Jesus wants. Ministry is understanding that everyone is going to stand before God and they need to be prepared. Therefore, ministry, an important aspect of ministry, is to make sure that everyone who stands before God is prepared. Everyone. Because it's going to happen. It is going to happen. And so Paul is absolutely, and, and this is why I love this, and he says this, we persuade people. We are out there trying to get them to accept Jesus Christ. To say, guess what? You are going to stand before God. God is going to judge you. You need to be prepared for that day. And unless you have Jesus Christ, you will not pass that test. You will be condemned. And we try to persuade people, please accept Jesus Christ. Please follow Jesus Christ. Do you sense the urgency of that? Do you sense that urgency? There are people who need to know Jesus. Not because he'll just make their lives better, which he can. Not because it's just a great thing, which it is. But because there is a time coming when they will stand before God himself. And unless they don't, unless they have Jesus, they will not pass. They will not pass that test. So Paul seems to give here an urgency to the fact that this is serious stuff. Do not take this lightly. This is incredibly serious. And there's a reason why this is so serious. And there's a reason why God wants us to do this. There's a reason why God wants us involved in ministry in addition to the three reasons we've already looked at. And perhaps this is the most important one out of all of them. And it's the last reason. Because everyone is loved by God. Everyone is loved by God. You've noticed that through the four different reasons here, the word everyone is used, meaning absolute. That's an absolute term. There is no one outside of everyone, is there? Everyone is everyone, period, regardless of who that individual is. This is what Paul writes, and I love this passage right here. This is, where, this is what I love about this chapter. He writes the following, beginning with verse 14. He says this, For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Let me ask you a question, church. Is your motivation for ministry 
because God loves those individuals or is it something completely different? What is your and my motivation for going out and serving others? Is it to make ourselves feel better? Is it because obviously we're commanded to do so, which is a great reason, by the way. Or is it also because God truly loves those people? Every single one of them. One of the hardest things, and I'll give you an example for me that I struggle with. Whenever um, a, a, a terrible event happens, terrible event happens. For instance, I was just thinking about Kenosha, right? Terrible event happened there. With involving police and a, and a, and a, a black man again. Um, and that, that is terrible enough, but it, what happened afterwards, a 17-year-old goes there, doesn't even live in the area, shoots and kills two protesters. 17-year-old. Why was a 17-year-old there? Does a 17-year-old even grasp totally the situation that was going on there? I know 17-year-olds. I'm not too sure a 17-year-old can totally grasp what's going on there. And yet now this poor guy has been charged with intentional homicide of killing of two people. Now, for me, I always gravitate towards those who were killed, right? Pray for the, pray for the families. Pray for the families of those killed, right? Because they're mourning the loss of two individuals that they no doubt love. You know what's really hard for me, and I don't always think about this, and I'm going to be intentional, is to also pray for the person who killed them or persons. Pray for that individual. Because Jesus loved that individual just as much as he loved those who got killed. When we can begin to understand that, we can begin to understand the breadth and depth of ministry. There is no one outside the bounds of God's love and reach. Period. No one. And when we can begin to pray not only for those who have been harmed, but pray for those who perpetrated that harm. I think we begin to get a sense of what ministry is like and why it isn't, in addition to just the fact that we're swimming upstream, why it is so hard. And why the church, regardless of whatever views that people might have, why sometimes the church is viewed so controversial and that, yes, we're going to love that individual too who perpetrated the harm, as much as those who were harmed. It's scandalous, isn't it? It doesn't make reasonable human sense, but it does make God sense. Because He loved us. Because He had mercy on us. And by the way, this extends even beyond just issues like that. Take immigration. And that there are people who come into this country illegally and they need help. We've had people who've shown up at our own church. Hasn't happened very often. But they've needed food and water. But they came here most likely illegally. I'm going to give them food and water. God loves them. It is scandalous. Absolutely scandalous. Those who perpetrate incredible harm, even against the most vulnerable people in our own society, deserve God's love and are not beyond God's love. And that's what makes this so hard 
and so scandalous and so hard for those outside the church to accept that we as Christ followers, we're going to love you. Because Jesus loves you. That is our motive. And Paul goes on and he just lays it out there. That is what compels us. is because of God's love for you and for me. That is what compels us to go and do this, to serve you. Regardless, because you are not beyond Jesus' love. And then he goes on and says this, Therefore, and I love this, from now on, we recognize no one, not a single person, according to the flesh. Not according to what they've done. Not according to their sins. We don't recognize them that way. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet we now know Him in this way no longer. When we think of Jesus, we don't just focus on His physical life, do we? We now also focus on His resurrected life. That Jesus is raised from the dead. The reason why we're alive is because Jesus is alive. The reason why we are forgiven is because Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. What a beautiful line, isn't it? You and I, because of our relationship with Jesus Christ, we're new creatures. We're a new creation. We are no longer defined by God from our past or by our sins. Rather, we are now defined by our life in Jesus Christ. And he says this, now all these things are from God, new life and forgiveness and all of these things who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us now the ministry of reconciliation. Do you know what our ministry is? Reconciliation. It's bringing people who have a fractured relationship with God back to him. That's our ministry. And it is so hard. It is so hard. That is our ministry. Why does Jesus want this? Why does He call us to this? Because that is what Jesus did for us. And He goes on and says this, namely that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. All of our ministry, whatever it is that we, be, that we may do, whether it is at work or here at church, whether it is serving our community or whether it is in helping each other individually, all of it, the overarching message ought to be and needs to be, come back to Jesus. Be reconciled to Him. Have that relationship that was once fractured be healed and made whole again. Why? Because Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. John 3.16, we know this verse. I love it. It doesn't say, for God so what? Hated the world. That wasn't his motivation. It wasn't, for God so tolerated the world. That's not why he does it. It's what? Loved. That was the whole motivation for Jesus coming. For God sending his son. It's because he loves us. Not just a certain percentage of us, Everyone. He loves the world. Period. 
And that needs to be our motivation for ministry. He has fractured relationships with people and he wants them to come back to him. Period. Paul ends this chapter by saying the following, Therefore, realizing that, knowing that, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. Every time we minister, think about this, God is making an appeal through each and every one of us. Come back to me. Come back to me. Come back to me. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Strong words that Paul writes here. We beg you, please come back to Jesus. Be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus took it all on so that we could be reconciled to the Father. Come back to him. That is our message to this world. That is our message. That is why we do ministry. This is why we do this. Because people are made for eternity. They're going to have to give an account. They need to be prepared for that when that time comes. And most importantly, because God loves this world. So this morning, church, I want to challenge us. I want to challenge us and to make sure that we do a gut check as to why we do ministry. Do we truly love this world the way that Jesus loves this world? Do we look at every single person and say, you are worthy of God's love? You are worthy of God's love, and I want you to spend eternity with Him. I want you to spend eternity with Him. Or are we just merely tolerant? Or are we just merely, eh, kind of blasé about it, passive about it? We know we should do it, so therefore let's do it. Where are we in this? Where are you individually in this? What motivates you to do ministry? Truly, what motivates you to do it? My hope and my prayer is, is that for us as a church, our motivation is because there's a world out there that is cut off from God, and God doesn't want that. God loves them. He wants them back into His family. And that everything we would do as a church would proclaim that message loud and clear. Be reconciled to God. If there are those of you out here today, whether in person or online, that is far from God, like Paul wrote, I also just share, I beg you, please, Come back to Jesus. Come back. Be reconciled. He loves you more than you could ever possibly understand. Be reconciled to Him. May we as a church and as individual Christians never forget that. Never. And may we as a response serve and minister boldly because of that love. Amen? All right, how's that for a short message? Let's pray. Father, never fully understand, Jesus, this love that you have for us. Never fully. And yet you do. And what even makes me even just not even fully understand is not only the love you have for me, I can maybe understand it a little bit better, 
because I like me. But the love that you have for those that I may not necessarily think are deserving of it. Jesus, I pray that you would change my heart, that you would change all of our hearts if that is where we are, Jesus. I pray that why we do ministry is not because of a way to make us feel good or that's what we're supposed to do, but rather, Jesus, we do it because this is what you have called us to do because you love this world and you desire to see it reconciled back to you. I think about, Father, the relationships of those in my own circle of people who do not yet know you, Jesus. I pray that they would. And I pray in some way, Father, whatever way I can help make that happen, please use me, Jesus. I pray for our community in general, Jesus, around here at Summit Ridge. And I pray, Jesus, for those who are far from you, Jesus. And I pray that in whatever way possible, we could go out there and minister to them with the message being, come back to you. What an awesome work you've called us to, not only individually, but as a church in general, Jesus. Thank you for this awesome responsibility, this joyful burden. And thank you for always continuing to lead us in the work that you have called us to do. It's your name that we pray, Jesus, and all of God's people said, Amen. I want to